There is some bad news. Okay. You owe us several glasses. I know. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's five bottles right <laughs> yeah, now. It's only bad Although news for you. It's I, good for us. I, I'm leaving after yeah. my next talk. Yeah, so you guys I, are screwed. I, yeah, then, no, 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 this stays Sorry. forever. You know? It's <laughs> yeah, like any, time any time we're we have evidence. You, it's like, okay. okay. Yeah. And then, and then the, the, the only thing I have to say is that, which we didn't say, is if you use the D word as in, as in comparison, Okay. okay. We'll okay. give you. We'll okay. give you a. So okay. We'll, so I got so some back. We'll, yeah. yeah. So okay. those will won't yeah. count. It's we'll the ones credit. where you just, just say just talk the, about D the D word <laughs> without <laughs> any relationship. Okay. okay. That's when we get okay. money. So <laughs> got it. I got so it. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been so wonderful. Thanks so much for having Katie. me. It is wonderful. The amazing so. Dr. Tolbert. Thank you. Excellent. Sorry for saying sorry. Media presents the Per Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery, with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Little, and I am with... Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. And where are we, Yola? Uh, we are still in beautiful New York yeah, City. Yeah, So we're time traveling. Oyster City. Yeah, Oyster City. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we so there's a bunch of things we love about New York, mm -hmm. right? So we like oysters. And oysters. Yeah, and what else do we like? Oysters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we also like New York Vet. Yeah. We like New York. I love the Metropolitan Opera. Ah, here. that's true. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and Broadway. And I love Broadway. And yeah. I love the Metropolitan Museum. Yeah. Okay, too. there you go. And Central Park. We could do a whole podcast about it. I know, we could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. we have a wonderful guest here. We do. We have um, Dr. Katie Tolbert, who's also speaking here at New York Vet. And um, uh, we've uh, already recorded part of a podcast. Mm -hmm. This is on, number two. Yeah, this is part two with uh, with Dr. Tolbert talking about the recently released ACVIM consensus guidelines on gastric acid suppressants in dogs and cats. And we love consensus guidelines, so, yeah, so let's go for it. Okay. So going back to the article, yeah. there are big buckets of drugs. Yes. Can you talk about the big buckets of drugs and what their indication yeah. is in cats? The big so we like the class. Yeah, so we yeah. talked about uh, the sucralfate yeah. already. Yes. Let's check. Okay. What are the other ones? So there's mesoprostol that we talk about, which we're not even sure. Like, I mean, again, inset-induced ulceration in the cat is very uncommon. Mm. And in people, at least, and again, I'm not trying to equate a person to a cat, but it, that's the only studies that we have. In people, actually, proton pump inhibitors, monotherapy, are superior to mesoprostol alone. And so... And what class of drug is mesoprostol? Mesoprostol is a prostaglandin E1 analog. Okay. Yes. So, so anti-inflammatory. It sort of like stimulates um, blood flow mm. and bicarbonate secretion. So it's just kind of like a mucoprotective drug, mm. essentially. Okay. Um, and so I can't really think of a time or place that I would use mesoprostol in a, in a cat. cat. Yeah. Okay. Um, off the list off it goes. The list. Off the list. There it goes. Okay. So we got rid of sucralfate except yeah. for the two Very indications. Very specific things. Yeah. yeah. We got rid of this one. Yeah. Yep. What about PPIs? So PPIs, again, if you have documented what you think is, is either gastric or basically kind of like pyloric small intestinal bleeding, mm -hmm. because anything below the pylorus mm -hmm. is really not going to be affected. affected. And so that can be somewhat difficult, obviously, and challenging. I just had a question from an owner who was like, I mean, from a veterinarian at this conference who was like, well, I have a dog with parvo who's having, you know, frank hematomesis, and I don't know if it needs a PPI or not. And I'm like, reasonable <laughs> to go ahead and treat with a PPI in that case. What I don't want you to do is just like reflexively give a PPI sort of for every condition. Mm. Dog has parvo, I'm mm. going to give a PPI. Mm. You know, cat has FIP, I'm going to give a PPI. Yeah, yeah. Like, 
think about it. Is there evidence that you think could be upper GI ulceration or esophagitis or something like that that you think would benefit from a PPI? Then you have an indication. And just going back to the basics again, a PPI does what exactly? A proton pump inhibitor basically suppresses or helps to suppress gastric acid production. So it raises the gastric pH. And the idea, again, is because we know that acidity can be very injurious to the stomach when you already have an ulcer or an erosion. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that you're trying to take away some of that injury that's ongoing now as a result of the acid that's there. Okay, mm -hmm. and so the other class, or at least another class, are the H2 blockers? Yes. Yep. Which, to be quite frank, I can't think of a good reason to use in a cat because Ooh. There's Off the list it goes. Wow, but that's this is this is really mm. a paradigm shift, yes. I think. At least now. So let me give the caveat that all of our studies, pretty much, with the exception of chronic kidney disease, have been performed in healthy dogs and cats. Yeah. Mm. And when we look at those studies, what we find is that famotidine, at least in the healthy cat, is a very, very weak acid suppressant, mm. especially when given for more than a couple of days. Mm. So I can't think of a reason why I would give famotidine because if I can only give it for a couple days mm. what's the point what's the point and what am I treating yeah. do you know what I mean yeah yep. now the exception to that rule and again I, this is because I just think we need more studies is some people report bilious vomiting in cats and dogs yeah. mm. and they say that Pepsid works and and maybe it does we don't have the studies to say whether or not it does it's a weak acid suppressant but maybe when you have bilious vomiting you don't need potent acid suppression yep and so that's why I have to be a little bit careful about what yep. I say. But I just think, again, we have such a problem with the misuse of this class of drugs that more than anything, we just need to try to take it off the list yep. for the majority of causes. So I, I, my understanding is that if you feel you do have an indication to suppress gastric acid in the cat, you're going to pick a proton pump inhibitor. Correct. You're not going to pick an H2 blocker, correct? correct. Yeah, yes. you're going to pick an omeprazole. Correct. And we have some data, um, some PKPV data, yep. I think, now on yep. omeprazole in cats. Yep. Yep. Um, dose, what would you recommend? If you're treating for ulcerative disease yep. right now, um, you really need to give one mic per keg twice, twice a, day, a day, unfortunately, yeah. and that sucks yep. in cats. Yep. We just um, submitted for a grant through the Win Feline Foundation. Yay, Win! Fingers mm. crossed. I used to work with Win, big yes. fan of Win. Yep. So hopefully they're listening. Yep. Um, where we want to study some other acid suppressants to find out are they effective. Like for mm. example, maybe, you know, I talked about ezomeprazole in this presentation oh, that I yeah. just mm. gave. Ezomeprazole seems to be a very potent acid suppressant in the dog. There could be some evidence that you could use it once daily in the dog. Mm. If you could use an acid suppressant once daily in the cat, oh, that would be awesome. how yeah. transformative would that yeah. be? Mm. And so yeah. hopefully they'll be excited about that. But if there's one lesson we know is that it's really difficult to extrapolate from other species. Totally. To so we mm. have to do it. They we will have prove to do you wrong. They, there's so many differences. Like, for example, just the bacteria that are in the duodenum alone, mm. which is so important for sort of pharmacogenomics. Do you know, I mean, like, just like the way mm. the, the metabolism drugs, uh, you know, so many important things happen in this proximal small intestine. So just the fact that there are wide differences in the bacteria in cats versus dogs. The length is different than cats versus dogs. The way that they metabolize drugs is different in cats versus dogs. Mm. And so you can't, I totally agree, you cannot just say, mm -hmm. well, because it works in dogs, it's going to work in the cat. It's dangerous. Mm. Yes. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's like, you know, the dexlanzoprazole thing we just did where we find it's probably not a good drug to be using in the cat. There you go. Mm. Yeah. So the other thing that we should talk about, we haven't really touched on much yet, uh, and we, we probably don't have much data in cats, but there can be some adverse effects from using yes. these drugs. And it's getting some, certainly the PPI, chronic use of PPIs is yes. getting some 
um, interest in human medicine. Yes, right, absolutely. Yeah. Now I know we don't know much in cats, but what are the what are the possible things we should be concerned about? Yeah. You know, chronically. Yeah, so using the them. thing that I really worry. So a couple of things I think. I mean, the one that I worry about short, it's sort of just on the short term basis in dogs and cats, especially ones that are um, critically ill and hospitalized is that it can have a profound effect on you know, the gastric pH. It raises the gastric pH. And gastric pH is a very important thing. Acidity is important for preventing bacterial colonization in the stomach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you know, one of the things that can happen, at least in humans, is that even with short-term administration, you massively suppress gastric acid. Very quickly, you can have bacterial colonization in the stomach. They vomit and aspirate. You can have mm. a really nasty bacterial unpleasant. aspiration wow. pneumonia. And so that's one of the things that I worry about with dogs and cats on the short term. On the long term, we're not sure. Like we did one study, 60 days worth of omeprazole in the cat. And you know, it is a potent gastric acid suppressant. If you um, take them off the drug very quickly, you do an, a, sort of an abrupt withdrawal, they have rebound gastric acid hypersecretion. Uh -huh. um, so you really need to taper the drug. What I would love to do, because people use prilosec a lot in cats with IBD, yeah, I would lo love to study <coughs> cats with inflammatory bowel disease who are getting prilosec, because I think that that is a population that could be susceptible to some of the adverse effects that have at least been reported or associated with PPI use in people. Like, for example, could it affect, could it cause vitamin B12 deficiency yep. with chronic use? Yep. You know, we know that cats with IBD and cats with chronic they, disease. They get B12 deficient anyway. Yep. yep. And then, you know, could it, you know, these cats are older, generally speaking. We know that they can get osteopenia. And so does PPI worsen that? Mm. Does it worsen sort of like, um, sort of, you know, the hyperparathyroidism that they get as a result of their chronic kidney disease, et cetera. So I think there are a variety of things that we still need to understand, and we don't know because we haven't done those studies in these naturally occurring models. And it's not benign to say, you know, there's no we, there there's no evidence that it's harmful. That's not a, that's a right. not a good no. approach to there's take. There's no evidence think. at all in veterinary medicine. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, I know. Yeah, and first like, do no harm, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't have any evidence to do much of what we yeah. do, so yeah. I don't think that's a good way. No, and th these drugs, I think, seem benign to people. Yes. They're yeah. common. Yeah, they don't do. they? Mm -hmm. They seem benign, yeah. but they're not necessarily so benign. Well, in people, I mean, there's a decent study, like a pretty large study of like 15,000 people or something that showed that it potentially is associated with acute kidney injury in people. That still Ooh. needs to be worked out as well. But so that's another thing. Like, <laughs> could it worsen chronic kidney disease in cats? Could you because get an acute on chronic? Yes, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, all sorts of things that we need to understand. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty common disease in cats. So yeah. yeah. Now we're talking, we're treating something that's very uncommon. Right. And yeah, it yeah. might be influencing something that's really common. So what about mast cell tumors in cats? So with mast cell tumors, again, we have no data, but I would, that's the one situation where I would definitely get the cat on the long-term PPI. Mm. Because I think the consequences of GI ulceration secondary to mast cell tumor are really severe. A PPI might be beneficial. I think there's enough indication that that's the one condition where I prophylactically will actually give a PPI in cats. Unless it's a mass that Yola can take off. Unless you can take it, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but right? Like, even then, I think that what, what I always say is, yeah, you can take out the mass that you can see, right. but you don't take out the masses that you can't see. Totally. So, yeah. I would even, yeah, I, I, I'm probably not allowed to say that, but I probably would even use it prophylactically, even if well, I take the mass out. But it's an interesting question, isn't it? Because we don't know the answer to that, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's, it, 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 I think that's a situation where, 
I know we don't we don't have evidence, but you you might want to fall on that side, right? Mm -hmm. And say because the consequences of the mast cell disease right. may be worse. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Than what exactly. we don't know about you know using and those and drugs. a lot of the mast cell disease um, things that we know are also extrapolated from mm. very the true. D word. So. Yeah. Yep. So, it, because it doesn't happen that often, and yep, so yep. there's very few real good stu yep. studies in cats. And it looks cats. different in cats. Yep. And it does look Absolutely. different in cats. Absolutely. So, yeah. so and then there's a breed variation, which is really interesting. So there's lots of reasons why, but you know, you don't want to do the, you don't want to take the risk yeah. in a way. Yeah. So no, I, I, I totally get that. Mm -hmm. There are, there are um, cases where you know we just have to use best judgment, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But what I like about finally getting consensus statements like this one, at least we now have a little better idea right. of where those territories are, right? Exactly. Where the yes. territories that say, really, you can stop using them. Right. You know, others that say, yes, you should use them. And then others that say, maybe you should think about using them. Exactly. Right? And, yep. and just going back to the mastelton, because of that, you know, you, you also need to send them in and see what type of mastel it is. Mm -hmm. So the lower grades, I probably totally. won't have that not much so much. Yes, I totally the higher yeah, grades, they Good won't surgical excision, exactly. low grade, yes. we're not exactly. going to worry yeah. about it. That's absolutely. Exactly yeah. Yeah. But again, it's not so common in the cat, right, to, mm -hmm. to come across these situations. Right. But that's no. where some guidance like this is really helpful. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolift app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. Um, so the other thing that comes to my mind as we're talking about gastric acid suppression is treating Helicobacter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in humans, right? They, I, I, now I assume it's still the same, but they tend to use um, multimodal therapy mm -hmm. for that, right? Yes. So it's a a controversial diagnosis yes. mm. in our small animal species. Yeah. Um, and how much data do we have? So again, let's focus on cats. Um, if we let's say we diagnose and we decide to treat it. Um, does gastric acid suppressant play a role in that? So, I mean, I think based on what we know in people, which is Helicobacter pylori, which mm. dogs and cats don't, don't really get, get um, <laughs> it, it, Helicobacter is really interesting because it can do two things, which are polar opposites of one another. It can increase gastric, gastric acid secretion, and then it can actually cause gastric gland atrophy where they actually oh, yeah, yeah. don't have a lot of gastric yeah, yeah. acid secretion. So yeah. there's that, like there's a wide difference in the in the two. And so when you have the helicobacter pylori that increases gastric acid secretion, yes, absolutely, like PPI is the way that you go along with, you know, the other drugs that they use, amoxicillin or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for dogs and cats, it's a very difficult, it's kind of like, it's kind of like how I feel like about Giardia a little bit. Like, <laughs> not as ex it's more of an extreme example than Giardia because I think there are times where Giardia seems reasonable as a pathogen, but <laughs> yeah, but not always. Yeah. But not always. So yeah. it's like, you know, could it be the case where, you know, like it's like IBD where you have the right genetics and you have the right environment yeah. and then you have, you know, all these things come come to play where IBD develops. And so Helicobacter is one of those things where I, where I think it's possible. Like I think you could have a susceptible individual who has a like, you know 
you know, diet or something like that that increases its susceptibility, and then Helicobacter comes in and colonizes, and it causes a problem. Is that all of the story? Probably not. There's something else that's going on that you need to treat. But I'm not in the camp where I think Helicobacter never causes a problem. Mm. Like I'm in the camp where I think it's possible, but mm. I also think, like, like I think with Giardia, what else is going on? Mm. Do you know mm. what I mean? What else do I need to find? Yeah. I agree with you because we, you know, certainly amongst all of the cats that we biopsy, we occasionally get helicobacter yeah. back on a biopsy, right. and I am not convinced at all. Right. You know, either histologically normal, they just happen to exactly right, and, and so we I'm see it a ton in our shelter, like ah. our shelter animals yeah. and our colonies. We see helicobacter a ton, and it doesn't cause inflammation. Yeah. You know. So I think we're at the point where you don't want to like jump on that bus right, right. away, right? You know, right. you've scoped or you've biopsied, let's say a cat that has. GI signs and you get helicobacter back. I mean, there was a time yeah. when we did. We yeah. went, oh, wow, well, yeah. there's the answer. Yes. It's just so rare. And I, you know, the, the thing that you, that you don't want to do is just like treat based on anecdotal mm. few case reports information. Like, for example, Dave Tweed just presented a case that was like, I can't remember if it was a dog or a cat, but let's say it's this cat for the purposes of this, <laughs> this mm -hmm. uh, podcast, um, that had acute gastroenteritis. They went and biopsied. They found helicobacter. It had inflammation. They treated it with triple therapy for, I think, four weeks or something like that. They, the animal got better and never relapsed again. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, again, I don't want to practice based on, like, end-of-one case reports, but I also don't want to be that person that's like, it can never happen. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So I think that if you look for underlying disease, you don't find anything. That seems to be all you have. Mm. I think you treat it, and, yes, I think you use a PPI to help in that, that context. Yeah. It has been a, um, a little bit disappointing in that there's at least one and maybe more than one study in the literature in cats that shows if you do treat the helicobacter and you get clinical resolution if you go back and re-biopsy those guys it's back yep absolutely right that's the thing it's yeah back. exactly is that okay if there's no clinical signs maybe it's okay yeah it's, it's that, very confusing yeah. to me for me i feel <laughs> like as long as it's not causing the animal mm. problem or anybody else. Yeah. Like it's kind of the case of like, for example, you can have a dog that has roundworms that, that doesn't have any pathology associated with roundworms, but do you really want to leave a dog walking around with roundworms? You know, with kids in the house. With or, kids in the yeah, house yeah, or yeah. other animals yeah. around mm. or something like that. So helicobacter, I'm sort of not as worried about because yeah. I'm like, well, I mean, it's pretty much everywhere. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty much Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm not like, that's the case where I'd say do no harm. It's not causing the cat harm. I could potentially cause more problems by giving drugs. And so I'm not yeah. going to do Yeah, and who wants to get triple therapy into a cat mm. anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. So. And what does the triple pair, uh, therapy contain? Um, it's I think it's amoxicillin and then um, bismuth, I want to say. Yeah, bismuth. And then and amiprazole. And, and you can also add in like clarithromycin. Some people add like in that. like an erythromycin or a clarithromycin. Yes. So it's either triple or quadruple. So just imagine oh, nice. getting all yeah, that. therapy. Right. Mm. Yeah. No. And then yeah. Uh, no, multiple de you. times a day. Yeah. Yeah. For, for yes. multiple days. Love it. Yes. Yeah. Usually four to six weeks. Yeah. Is yeah. And it's not like a week Excellent. either. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then it comes back anyway. Yes. yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there just hasn't been as much talk about helicobacter recently. We went through a phase when we talked about it a lot. Yeah. So I wonder. You know how many people out there are still like seeing it and treating it so it's kind of good to get talk about it again yep, yeah absolutely. is there anything else from the consensus statement that comes to your mind for cats that because we've talked about quite a, a few conditions where gastric acid suppressant may or may not be warranted did I, we miss I, anything i think we've kind of touched on it but i just want to again make the case that like like we've talked about cats are not dogs and, mm. and cats are not humans mm. and so thinking about acid suppressant therapy or whatever it may be 
don't use dog or human data to dictate what you do with the cat. Yeah. So don't use drugs that haven't been tested in the cat. Like they could be toxic. They could have oh no efficacy whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing that yeah. I think hopefully a lot of feline practitioners already sort of have. Yeah, that. I think feline practitioners are a little bit more sensitized to it, but it's really worth stating, right? I mean, a, a drug that's bioavailable in the dog may not be in the cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a exactly. drug that's not toxic in the dog, cats are completely different yeah. when it comes to exactly. And, and vice versa, right? Like we know mm. that xylitol does not appear to be there a toxic go. in a cat. There it's very toxic in the, the dog. dog. So yeah. So it's really it can be dangerous to make assumptions. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because this is the main reason why we do this podcast because yeah. we found out there's so much literature about the other species. <laughs> there's relatively few literature, uh, little literature about the cat itself. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so we yeah. like to speak with experts like you yeah. Yeah. to kind of. Um, and and of course a lot of the cat loving vets are listening, but there's also a lot of other people listening yeah, yeah. to the, the podcast and well, that and might I not have that much experience with yeah. cats. In I general, think that's so. why it's so important now that we have and like um, full disclosure, I'm obviously like I have a lot of uh, studies that are funded by the Winfield Foundation, but it is so nice hmm. to have a foundation that supports cat research mm-hmm. yeah. because you cannot get like the NIH for example no. to give you money to study no. things in cats no. and no. historically it has been a little bit more difficult there's a smaller pot of money through for the cat. Morris Animal Foundation yeah, for, cat. for cats yeah. and so it's really nice to have foundations that are like we just want to study cat diseases yeah. we want to help cats and so that's made my job a lot easier because I'm like well I want to too so let's do yeah. this you and know? Win is great they've been doing it so just it's really good to give a little bit of, of, of a plug to Win because it's Win W-I-N-N uh-huh. felinefoundation.org I think awesome uh, Win's been doing it since the 1980s it's amazing know, it's do you know they were behind um, they helped fund Paul Pion's research when he discovered oh, really? that taurine deficiency no I didn't mm-hmm. know that was uh, uh, one or probably the major cause of dilated cardiomyopathy. Wow. So they're kind and of that's coming back around mm-hmm. full circle. There you go. Free diets and all that so they're kind of a good, well-kept secret, you know, yeah. in veterinary medicine. Many veterinarians don't know that some of these like uh, pivotal studies or foundational studies mm-hmm. or yeah. you know early stage studies of things we take for granted. Yeah. Funded by Win. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Full. And full it's, it's yeah. So so no, I totally agree with that. It's a wonderful organization. It's sometimes tough to get the cases. Uh, yeah. I remember that I'm looking at feline insulinoma a long time ago and. Yeah. I had no cases, yeah. and so we're k- kind of revamping it right now. I think I've not 10 or 12 cases, yeah. but still it's so tough. Even yeah. with a more common disease, it can be hard exactly. to get case accrual for exactly. Well, that's the thing. Cats. When you get funding, it just like yeah. basically kills your... Doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> I was just talking to this about uh, somebody the other day. Everything goes away once The minute you get a funded. project gets in place, you know, yes. so I almost hate to see, yes, I see a lot of cases of right. disease X, right? right and then exactly. a project gets in place and you won't see one for right. three years. Exactly. Yeah, so there that's why we wanted to do the cat abscess study, because at least <laughs> oh, you see those, yeah, you know. Yeah, you're good. You're going to get like 500 thing, so. in a day. We were, yeah, we, were, we're, we, d- we did a, a, a podcast um, with uh, with a surgeon. Yeah. Keeps you all happy, yes. you know. Yes, yeah. And anyway, one of the things we touched on was cat abscesses, and there's yeah. actually surprisingly little research about I cat know, abscesses. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> that is surprising. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were talking about antibiotics, and should we use it or should we not? And there's yeah. really no There's research. actually no data. Okay. And everybody's using it. So yes, yes. So that's the whole thing. So somebody's doing a study to figure out. Well, no, no, that was our suggestion. Yeah. So we want to get yeah, the yeah. cat world together, yeah. all the cat vets together, and at least submit like one or two, which you get per week. <laughs> yeah. So we're done in a week with the cruel, yeah. you know? That would if be the nice thing is could we form like sort of like a web of oh, like private a practices yeah. and institutions a that want to do cat studies and yeah. like basically be like, all right, I have because collaboration is a big thing. That's and it's, just, it's good to be represented. Like if different yeah. regions might see different things, and so I think that that's helpful. Totally. 
wonderful. Yeah, a great interview. So thank you so much. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, so now there's some bad news. Okay. You owe us several glasses. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's five bottles by <laughs> yeah, now. It's only bad Although, news for you. It's I, good for us. I'm <laughs> leaving after yeah. my next talk. Yeah, so you guys I, are screwed. I, yeah. Then, <laughs> I guess. No, no, this stays Sorry. forever. You know. It's yeah, any, I anytime we're we have evidence. It's like okay. Yeah. And then the only thing I have to say is that which we didn't say is if you use the D word as in comparison. Okay. okay. We'll okay. give you. We'll okay. give you a. So, okay. we'll, so I got so some back. We'll, yeah. yeah. So okay. those will yeah. won't count. We'll it's the ones where you just, just say just the, the D word without <laughs> any relationship. Okay. okay. That's when we get okay. the <laughs> so Got it. I got so it. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been so wonderful. Thanks for having me. It is wonderful. The amazing so. Dr. Colbert. Thank the opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at PerPodcast. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. Thank you.